Well, welcome back to Collateral Banter, episode 48. I am publishing two episodes this week, getting back to work. You know, I, I haven't yet talked about impeachment yet, but I'm sure at some point I will. I've yet to follow it as closely as I probably should be following. What comes out, I mean, in my, my prediction is Democrats had to impeach However, they might pay a price for it. But if they do pay a price politically for impeaching Donald Trump, you can only put that on the American people. You can only put that on the public. It's their fault in some ways because the Democrats could argue and have a solid argument like Republicans did that, hey, we were following the rule of law. We were following the laws. And so we impeached based on that. And if people decide to punish the Democrats and reward the Republicans, then you get what you get. Then you get Donald Trump and a bunch of Republicans. As I said in my last episode, if that's what they get in 2020 or 2022, Donald Trump could stay longer than 2024 if they begin to finagle a prime minister position in the government somehow and get, make the, the president more of a ceremonial role and give that power to the prime minister of the United States. It will... Probably be a Supreme Court ruling, but I did want to mention that again. But on this episode, I kind of want to reflect on the consequences of politics today, the ramifications of the current political crisis America finds itself in, that I think most people don't want to hear about, don't care about the political infighting that is going on in Washington, regardless if it's about the rule of law, regardless if it's about democracy. People often tell their politicians, but what are you doing for me lately? What are you doing for my kitchen table issues? Getting jobs, putting food on the table and all of that stuff, right? That's what they, that's what many Democrats want. I mean, are told by pollsters and people that the vast majority of Americans actually care about and not this impeachment stuff. However, I think that's a mistake. And here's why I think that's a mistake. If you let the political system in your country rot, then don't be surprised that you live in an authoritarian state. If you let the political system rot, essentially have the two-party system become dysfunctional, yeah, maybe your kitchen table issues aren't the immediate concern today. They're not dire concerns, but they will be one day. They will be. You will be growing your economy slower. You will have severe problems 5, 10, 15 years down the road. And all you want is your politicians to fix your problems today. And I get it. You live in, in today. You don't live five years out into the future. I think people should care about their political system if they care about the future. Do they not have kids? Do they not have grandkids? And don't get me wrong. There's also those environmental challenges that I just want to add. But your political system is collapsing. And I'm going to try to argue today how it's collapsing and why it's collapsing. Look, the first crisis that I see and it's probably the biggest one for the United States, is that the two-party system is almost at this point just dysfunctional. Um, you have the vast majority of Republicans feeling like the Democrats are trying to destroy Trump and undo the election of 2016. That's what many Republicans feel like. And they've begun to take this stand like either you support Donald Trump or you're an enemy to the country. You're they, they've begun to take this very black and white view of people, any any critical people who work in government or who 
work in the military or in national security offices or whatever. And what is this saying for the future of the country of the two-party system just as it becomes dysfunctional? In my view, you, you got to create more parties and essentially become more like Europe's democracies having maybe three, four, maybe five political parties running and creating coalitions. I think that's the only way because I don't think this two-party system is going to work out too well. Especially if the Democrats feel like they have stood up for the rule of law, for democracy, for protecting this country, and then the American people vote in Republicans and say, nope, you're stupid and you're lying. Eventually, the Democrats will give in to that mentality and be like, you know what? Yeah, we will work with Donald Trump. But that's only if the American people start voting in Republicans and voting out Democrats. Otherwise, if the Democrats can gain from where they are today, then they will continue on, on their current path. That's why 2020 is such a big election, so pivotal. But the two-party system, to me, I, I just think it has run its course, and I don't see how it can sustain itself. The way the Republicans are talking about Democrats, the way Democrats are talking about Republicans, there's got to be this deep animosity. Or the Republicans are pulling up a front. They're, they're pretending in public to be great defenders of Donald Trump. But behind the scenes, they hate his guts and they want him out. I think some Trump supporters probably believe that. They probably think the Republicans just on the surface are like, yeah, we love Donald Trump. But behind closed doors, they're like, we got to get rid of him. He's crazy. We need to get out. We need to get him out of office. Again, I kept hearing this, and I don't know how true this is, but that if the Senate gets to vote on articles of impeachment and they get to convict or not convict, if the vote was in secret, they would likely convict Donald Trump and remove him from office. But the Republicans refuse to come out publicly against Donald Trump because they don't want to lose the election. They don't want to get punished by their hardcore Trump supporters who might primary them. And if they survive the primary, are not likely to come out for them in the general election, which means Democrats gain more seats. So you've seen Republicans just stay fully on board with their president. And it seems like they're stuck there. But yeah, it makes me think that we have a political crisis in the democracy. Look, I, I think part of it is also polarization. You've begun to see Americans living in certain parts of the country, both Republicans and Democrats, because they feel like that part of the country represents who they are. They're wanting to be surrounded by other people like them. It gives them a sense of community. It gives them a sense of strength. They don't want to go to places that they feel might target them might harass them, might not share their common values and things like that. And so this, from what I've read, this sorting of the American population is also contributing to this sort of political polarization. Because as you see other people like yourself, then you begin to say, wait, wait a minute, why isn't everybody thinking like us? Wait, how are those people thinking so differently? So people begin to attack other people who they've never met. Uh, just because they live in certain regions or certain parts of the country. And look, I'm guilty of this too. I'm not here saying that everybody else is wrong, but um, I haven't made jokes about people in certain states and things like that. So I think that that's, that, that's an issue people are forgetting that, you know, even today people don't want to marry 
other people with different political viewpoints. They want their own viewpoints reflected back at them. They sort of don't want to engage other people. And I think that this contributes, I don't know how much, but it certainly is a fact in the polarization that we see today. Certainly more than gerrymandering. And I know a lot of people like to talk about gerrymandering as one of the problems, the political ills that this country is is suffering today. And I, I don't buy the gerrymandering argument, given that, yes, Republicans do gerrymander and the Democrats do as well. Maryland's a perfect example of that, where the Democrats control. There'd probably be more Republicans elected from the state of Maryland. But the way they've designed the map for Maryland uh, favors the Democrats. And yeah, Republicans have been doing it in Texas, in other states, Wisconsin, I think. So you've begun to see how polarization, gerrymandering, and a dysfunctional two-party system has created this I think a political crisis that in some ways to me is even more important than the issues of economic security. Even though I get why we need that to talk about that today and why that's a more urgent issue for people. But if your political system becomes so dysfunctional, it's only a matter of time before your jobs begin disappearing and you've begun to suffer in your community. If you have a weak political system, it's going to eventually hit you. That's my point about that. And I think not enough people are concerned about that. And I think that's that's troubling for me. Look, and and another issue, and I normally don't talk to to my friends about this, but is the debt crisis that America is probably walking itself into. Certainly not now, not in the near future, but certainly in 5, 10, 15 years, Countries already running $1 trillion deficits. You combine that with an aging population and a lot of the cost of health care and retirement. And it's going to be a serious financial situation unless the economy can keep growing. And see, that's where it connects back to immigration is you still need a young population. And America, unlike Europe, is still a relatively young country, needs to encourage more young people to come in and to become part of America. Otherwise, it might suffer the sort of consequences that older societies are are enduring today, like Japan. And so it, it is a problem that I think is manageable if worked on today. You know, people do create crisis saying, oh, no, these programs are going to disappear, uh, Social Security, Medicare. They don't need to. I certainly don't want them to. But as the population ages, I think people are going to see that those programs are going to be changed to sort of balance books, even with higher taxes, which I think are coming. I just don't see how – I don't see how the country can sustain its current low level of taxation uh, relative to other – European countries. I just think America probably going to have to have higher taxes across the board on everybody at some point. Those crises normally hit a country unexpectedly, the sort of political and economic crisis. What I wanted to also say about foreign influence in the elections, and I probably should have talked about this in the last episode, but I think people in general don't realize that with the internet itself, people can intervene in other people's elections anytime they want. The difference is when you have a state actor doing it, they're well organized, have a lot of money, can target people with uh, misinformation and lies. It just lies. It's misinformation. They're lying to people. 
in hopes of convincing people, convincing enough people. But I think the bigger problem for our democracy is that, A, you got to see through that. And I think it's scary that so many voters or people online see something once, don't research it. So anything you put in front of them, people tend to have a tendency to believe. And I think that that's a dangerous position for anybody. You see something or you see a video or you see a clever documentary and you just agree with it because you saw it and you have a bias in favor of it, right? So what they call it's just a, I think it's confirmation bias. It, it reflects your own views. And um, if it reflects your own views, people don't want to question it or begin to see things from a different perspective. And I think that's a problem larger for democracy. But But one other issue, and I wanted to mention this, is that democracy itself is in a crisis when people aren't engaged and active in it. And this goes into, I think, a cultural issue that I've discussed with my friend Rachel, is that if we're a, a society and a culture that normally just cares about economic issues, paying bills, and just trying to feed your family and yourself, and they don't care about other political issues, you, you develop into a culture that doesn't debate, doesn't have public discussions, doesn't have a sort of a communal sense. And you develop into a culture of just wanting to get a job, get paid more, you get more money, so then you can go and buy a house. And it's like, is that it for life? Is, is your life so devoid of meaning, of communication, of connection, of community, that all you care about is just buying things? I don't know if the America's crisis is simply a crisis of, oh, kitchen book issues. Everybody just cares about the economy. Certainly, in my viewpoint, that is probably the core issue, especially when people's wages, incomes haven't gone up in over 40 years. Certainly, I get that. But I also wonder how much of, of the crisis we have today is, is should be lame, blame on a culture that doesn't care enough about rebuilding community, creating new partnerships and friends. And I'm thinking of Facebook here all of a sudden claiming that they're building community. I don't think so. You know, I, I so I really stopped using Facebook two years ago. And once in a while, I log on at a couple people that I'm meeting in, in, in real life. Initially, when I left Facebook, I felt a bit separated from people. I felt isolated. But over two or three or four months, I began to do things in the local community, hang out in different places, begin to engage and talk to people. And once you get away from social media, Facebook, and these things, and you begin to engage people face-to-face, that's, to me, real sense of community and connection. And, of course, I think as communities becomes diverse, you know, look, that's one of the advantages. Okay, so one of the advantages of the Internet and social media is that you get to spread your word and images all around, and you get to communicate non-verbally and all of that. Fine. But I think we have to do is communicate on the Internet plus in person. And I think everybody can decide how much of that they want. But I think we're missing the in-person part in America. We're missing that human connection to people locally, people that you see every day. And rebuilding those connections, I think, are more important than getting on Facebook and, I don't know, meeting random people who you might never see again. 
And uh, it's it's sort of a weird connection. And also a lot of times, at least on my Facebook, the people I have met, I'm, I don't no longer meet in person. And the people I meet in person aren't yet my friends on something like Facebook. It's it's weird. And so I just wanted to share that. I, I, I think on top of all of these political crisis that we have, the two-party system, the elections being influenced and all of that. And I think a, a bigger issue as equally as important is a sort of American culture just is obsessed with consumption. Ah, that's why I love reading Baltriard. And uh, I probably need to talk more about him as I begin to immerse myself in Baldriard's writings because he analyzes a lot of society through consumption. And when it's 50% of your economy, some say more, it's a big part of, of what we do today is consume. And yeah, of course, technology is about attention, but you're consuming something when it's acquiring your attention. And talking about consumption, I, I've had this conversation with a few people in recent weeks. When you go to a coffee shop, you get there, you open the door, you see this maybe a line, you go into the line and you order a coffee, small coffee, and you get a cookie. Your coffee is likely to be $3.50, $4, something like that, in that, in that range. And your cookie is sometimes $3, $4. There you go. You've spent in just one cookie and one coffee, you are spending almost... Seven, eight dollars, maybe more. So ten dollars, <laughs> nearly, for a cup of coffee and a one cookie. Okay, this is any coffee shop. I'm thinking anywhere at this point. The question is, you just paid nearly ten dollars for something that if you had gone to a supermarket and spent ten dollars at, you could have gotten many, many cups of coffee or twenty-five cookies instead of one. So, and and this is the stuff that goes into my mind, right? But I, I begin to ask myself, what are you really paying for when you spend $10? Yes, a part of it is going to renting the coffee shop. Yes, to the employees and all of that. But isn't it so expensive to just go hang out at a coffee shop and just sit there? At this point, I don't even order anymore. I just go there and sit. Because I realize when I'm going there to pay, I'm paying for all of this. I don't know why I feel like I need to. I feel like... I'm paying for the experience to sitting down at a coffee shop. That's what you're paying for. You're paying to sit down and and feel like you get to watch other people and got to overhear conversations, maybe you get to meet people and hang out. But I think it's a way of monetizing a community space and they hope to serve coffee and cookies, but they have to inflate the price, um, I guess, to pay all the expenses and all of that. I'm not opposed to coffee shops, I want to say for the record. <laughs> I go to them quite often. I just don't spend a lot of money at them. But I began to look at prices, and to me, it's just like, wow, that's ridiculously priced, in my view, for, for what you could get uh, at a mass-produced place. But maybe that just means I need to go buy food at some local market local co-op or something like that and bring that into the coffee shop but see that makes me rethink the economy that makes me think we need a space like a coffee shop that can sell goods at a much more affordable rate and this community center wouldn't need to worry about rent 
or other expenses. Maybe I'm thinking here the computers or whatever it is, the machines could make the coffee for you or prepare in a replicator somewhere a cookie or something like that. It could just be a community space owned by the local town, town government owning that and having people just gather to rebuild that human connection. And I think that that's, that's missing. Why does it need to be a coffee shop? Why can't it be just an open space? You know, you'll get a good cross-section cross of people, especially if you're connected to Wi-Fi and you had tables and outlets for people. People could just come by, sit, and use that public space. And you can meet people, have conversations, hang out with friends. I mean, a coffee shop is a sort of a communal space, but it's a for-profit communal space. And that's why things are so overpriced by it. And it's ridiculously overpriced. But to get it, to pay all their expenses, that's what they need to do. We need a commons, a public space. That's what I believe in. Okay, I don't think I've, I've come out and talked enough about this. But that's what I need to do. I need to talk more about publicly owned spaces that are open to people in the community. We need more of those kind of spaces to re kindle the sense of belonging and community in the country, which as we're polarized, we need to do more often, especially as people either move out west or the south and begin to only see people who think and act like them. But I suspect while that's true, people are moving to places where they feel more comfortable and people agree and look like them and things like that. I also think there's some diversity in those areas, right? There's got to be people in the West Coast who are conservative, people who are very, very liberal in the South. And and you're seeing this nice mix of people, um, but maybe they need to form their own sort of community and public spaces. That's what I've been thinking about in these past weeks is a sense of uh, rekindling community and the public spaces. The crisis that I think is, is as big as the economic issues that people, voters bring up today. They don't want to hear about impeachment. They don't want to, I don't agree at all. If you're talking about your own political system in a severe crisis and you're not dealing with that, it means your house will eventually burn down. And taking down somebody's political system, it's only a matter of time when that economy comes down, crashing down on you. You've been warned is essentially what I want to have. So thank you again for listening. Maybe during this break in this next couple days, I will have some time to read some more Baldriard and maybe I will come on and talk about that. You know, I recently got in the mail as well, summaries of the Mueller report. Maybe I will talk about that if I get a chance to actually read it, go over in detail what it's about. But it's a matter of time before the Supreme Court forces Donald Trump to release his tax returns forces him, forces his lawyer, Don McGahn, to obey a congressional subpoena. It, it should be an interesting, the next few days, we'll also probably get to read other books. We'll see. Uh, there is uh, so much I'm supposed to be reading and uh, I'm not reading, which is a problem. Episode 48, Collateral Banter. Thank you for listening. Until next month. <laughs>